Today we hear God's word from Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 1 through 11 and 17 through 21. After this, the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, if not it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and there they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And then verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This is the word of the Lord. For these last several weeks between Christmas and Lent, which begins on Wednesday, Pastor Nick has been preaching a series on the basics of the spiritual life, the basic practices that characterize the life of a Christian. Scripture reading, prayer, fasting, service, worship, and now today, evangelism. My primary text this morning is the one that was just read, Luke chapter 10, but I want to introduce the subject by reading now from another text, Ephesians 4, 10, and 11. You can go ahead and put that up on the first slide. There it is. So I'll read that, and then I'll uh, pray for us. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Father, I come before you now in the name of Jesus and ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, empower the preaching of your word, and as your word goes out, would you pour out your spirit upon your people? Would you equip us uh, to do the work of ministry uh, together as your uh, body? May we grow up into maturity, into 
uh, fruitfulness. And I ask that you would empower us to minister not just one to another, but that you would add to our numbers those uh, who are being saved, that you would cause this, this church to grow and flourish in that way. For your glory, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So I believe that this is a super important verse for our understanding of the church. And so before we move on to Luke 10, I want to make several quick bullet points about it. First, this is not a passage about spiritual gifts. Note that it does not say he gave the gift of apostleship to some and the gift of prophecy to some and the gift of evangelism to some and so on. No, it says he gave some to be apostles, some people to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. The people are the gifts. So it's not that Nick has the gift of pastoring. It's that God gave us the gift of a pastor named Nick, right? There are some people whom God calls and then gives as gifts to the church. Second, notice that there is only one article, the, governing both words, shepherds or pastors and teachers. You can see that in the way I formatted this verse on the slide. In fact, pastor teacher or shepherd teacher could even be hyphenated. Pastor teacher is one office, is one person, which means that the primary way, not the only way, but the primary way Pastor Nick shepherds this church is by preaching and teaching the word. Third, in the same book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So on the next slide, you'll see that I've put apostles and prophets there at the bottom as the foundation of the church. The apostles and the prophets, these are the guys who wrote the Bible, right? They gave us the apostolic deposit in the scriptures. So we don't have apostles and prophets anymore. Instead, we have, next slide, evangelists and pastor teachers. And this fits with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, next slide, about planters and waterers. Remember, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. So there's those two kinds of uh, people in full-time vocational ministry. Uh, evangelists are like missionaries and church planters. They start churches, and then pastors are those who nurture and water the church with the preaching of the word so that it grows into maturity. Now, what does this mean for us today in a sermon on evangelism? It means that not everyone is an evangelist any more than everyone is a pastor. The reformers taught the priesthood of all believers, which means that we all have immediate access to the presence of God in Christ. We don't need any other priest than our great high priest, Jesus. But the priesthood of all believers does not mean, of course, the pastorhood of all believers. We're not all pastors, and we're not all evangelists either. But before you think you're off the hook and never have to worry again about sharing the gospel with your neighbor, let me take you back now to Ephesians 4.11 on the next slide and show you why the evangelists and pastors are given to the church. 
What is their purpose? It says that they are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's where you fit in. You're not all pastors. You're not all evangelists. But you are all saints. And so you are all to be equipped for the work of ministry. You are all ministers of the gospel. Pastors don't just do the work of ministry. Pastors equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Think of it like a sports team. Pastor Nick is the coach, and we are the players. He teaches us Sunday after Sunday like a coach in a locker room so that we can go from here during the week and do the work of gospel ministry in the world. I've titled this sermon, You Get a Line and I'll Get a Pole. Do you know the reference? It's an old bluegrass song about fishing for crawdads. Jesus, of course, used fishing as a metaphor for preaching the gospel. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And he sent them out two by two. You get a line, I'll get a pole. Evangelism is something that we can do together in partnership with others. But actually the disciples didn't fish with poles, did they? They fished with a net. And I think that's an even better picture of how we can do evangelism together. The church is a net. The church is a network of interstitched relationships. And as we grow in maturity, as we grow in love, others are drawn into our fellowship. So even if you're not one who has a speaking gift, even if you're not one who feels like you have the gift of evangelism, as you use your spiritual gift and this church is grown up into the fullness of Christ, then that helps draw people in uh, to, to the church, into the kingdom. Well, turning now to Luke 10, there are many details in the passage that are situation-specific and not for us to apply literally to ourselves. Let's not leave our wallets behind and walk barefoot to Davis Junction to preach the gospel this afternoon. But I think we can find some principles in this chapter that we can translate into our context. And the emphatically first principle is prayer. Before Jesus commands them to go, he commands them to pray in verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. First, we have to pray. And after the resurrection, Jesus gave the Great Commission, but he didn't tell them to go right away. Remember? He told them first to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Spirit. And we read this in Acts 4.31. After they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. After they prayed, they were filled with the Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Prayer, then evangelism. Ask, and then go. Let me show you another passage in Acts, and this is the next slide now, that shows how important prayer was to the growth of the early church. Four things, it says in Acts 2.42, that the newborn church devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
And I hope you can see from the color coding how that forms an outline for the rest of the paragraph. So the first one was apostles teaching, and then in verse 43, we see the mention of the apostles again. In verse 40, the next one is fellowship, and in verse 44, we see that they shared all things in common, which is the same Greek word as fellowship, koinonia, in common. So fellowship here is not the coffee hour, it's more like benevolence or charity, our sharing all things in common. Then in verse 46, we see the third one that they devoted to, the breaking of bread in one another's homes. And so now in verse 47, following the pattern of this outline, you would expect prayer to be mentioned again. But surprise, it's not. What do we see instead that corresponds in green to the church being devoted to prayer? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Prayer was the evangelistic strategy of the early church. It's all over the place in the New Testament, but one more example was Colossians 4.3, where Paul asked them to pray that God would open doors for the word. And then he says, let our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. But again, see the order. Prayer before evangelism. When I was a pastor in Champaign, there was an older pastor who I prayed with almost every week for 10 years. And I remember him telling me one time that in his experience, evangelism felt effortless whenever he was praying for opportunities. But it felt impossible whenever he wasn't praying. So let's make this application first of all. Pray for open doors. Pray that God would add to our numbers those who are being saved. And now back to Luke 10 again, and I'm done with the slides. Jesus said in Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful. So don't believe the lie that people are not open to the gospel. The truth is there are very many people out there who are ripe for harvest, who are thirsty for the gospel. We just have to go find them. How do we find them? Well, first we pray. And then here's the second principle I see in Luke 10, verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. As you meet people, let your first impression be one of peace. Be friendly. Extend kindness. You don't know who will receive your peace and kindness and who will reject your offer of friendship. But random acts of kindness are like the divine fish locator. I used to go fishing with my dad on his bass boat in Arkansas. And on the boat, there was a depth finder that shows you how deep the water is, and it even shows you where the fish are. You'd actually get these little pixelated fish on the screen. You could even see how big they were. Now, the way these things work, although I think the one we had was just a video game because we were never actually able to confirm the existence <laughs> of the fish down there. But the way they're supposed to work is that these ultrasonic waves go out from under the boat and then they bounce back off of the fish. So, as you go through life 
and you meet friends and neighbors and co-workers, just send out these rays of kindness indiscriminately to everybody or to everybody. And then the fish will appear on your screen by their receptivity to your extension of peace to this house. Acts of kindness open doors for the gospel. And my prayer is that as we do this, God will add to our numbers those who are being saved. My vision of church outreach has always been very decentralized. The kingdom spreads like yeast through a batch of dough, Jesus said. And yeast is not organized. It just spreads. So we don't need to wait for the church to organize an evangelistic event with a four-color brochure that we can use to invite our neighbors. Just invite them over for dinner. I mean, what if there were a dozen or more evangelistic events a week where people who do not yet know the Lord are shown hospitality by two or three members of Kish? And if hosting a dinner is, is not something that's easy for you, Try something else. Maybe join a bowling league and ask your neighbors to be on your team. Take your kids or your grandkids to the zoo and invite your neighbors along. How many of us are having or going to a Super Bowl party tonight? Do you have any friends who don't have a church they call home that you can invite along? And you don't have to try to share the gospel with them during halftime. <laughs> just, just make a friend. More so now than ever, we need first to build bridges of trust that can bear the weight of truth. I'm going to say that again because I think it's one of the most important things I've learned about evangelism. You've got to build bridges of trust that can bear the weight of truth. So I believe what my older pastor friend taught me. If you, if you are a prayerful person, if you are a kind person, those gospel conversations will come. You don't really have to force it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So if you are prayerful, if you're praying for open doors, if you are kind, and if you let people get to know you in your suffering and they see the hope that you have even in the midst of it, then they will ask you about it. But you say, well, but what if they don't? What if they reject you? That's okay. And this is the third principle I get from Luke 10, verse 6. It says, if they reject you, let your peace return to you. If we're going to persevere in personal evangelism, We've got to learn how to let our peace return to us. Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Now that may sound cold, but I don't think Jesus is saying we should ever totally give up on someone. But he is teaching us, I believe, this simple strategy. Go where the fish are biting. Don't sit there and cast into the same unresponsive patch of water all day. Move on. Move along. If someone is unresponsive, back off for a while and devote your energies to prayer. 
wait on the Lord to do the work that he only can do and create openness in their hearts. Well, finally, let me read again, beginning in verse 17 of Luke 10, of the joy that the disciples experienced coming back from laboring in the harvest field. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus has to correct the disciples and tell them that the spring of their joy is their own salvation, not their experience of power in ministry. The spring of our joy is our salvation, not power in ministry. Our joy comes from our own salvation, which is eternally secure, not from experiences of power in ministry, which will come and go. The joy of a laborer in the harvest field is not dependent on results because the joy of a laborer is the joy of being saved. And experiencing this joy really is a prerequisite for effective witness. David prayed in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. And now listen to the joy of Jesus in verse 21. It says, At that time Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Someone needs to explain to Jesus that the doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation is a discouragement to evangelism, because evidently he doesn't see it that way. Because here he is praising God for hiding the gospel for some and revealing it to others. And teaching the disciples that no one can know the Father except those to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Right in the middle of instructing them about evangelism. This chapter teaches us that resting in the sovereignty of the Lord of the harvest is what gives us the peace and the joy necessary for persevering in evangelism. You are not the Lord of the harvest, so relax and rejoice. Relax. First, go and extend kindness to others and speak of your relationship with Christ and see what God does. Just relax and go out and be kind to people and pray for opportunities. And then rejoice. Because sharing Christ with others will kindle in your hearts profound gratitude for your own salvation. I love to tell the story, as the hymn says. Let's pray together.
Father, I do pray that you would empower our witness by restoring unto us the joy of our salvation and making us confident that you are the Lord and there are people that you have out there who are ripe for harvest and eager to hear the gospel. Help us to find them by being indiscriminately kind to everyone. And I pray that you would add to our numbers those who are being saved. We pray this for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.